Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. Good to be with you. If you're worshiping with us online, welcome. So glad you're here. Uh, I love the people I get to worship with. I'm Chip Freed, strategic missional director, I guess, is what they call me now. Um, But I love the the people I work with. It was worth the price of admission. If you were online, you didn't get to see Scott Blevins do the 100-meter dash. Um, He's not, he's, and actually a hurdle. He went over one hurdle, too. No, no world records were in danger, but it was, it was worth the price of admission. And uh, today I get to introduce a new uh, team member to you. You've seen probably emails and on the website um, as David Thorne, our children and family pastor, was transitioning uh, out over on the west side now. Uh, Kenya Woods is transitioning in. This is such an important time for children's ministry. We know parents are stressed out this fall just like they were last fall. We got some stuff on the way. We're working for some things for you guys uh, in October. But in the meantime, I want to introduce our new children and family pastor. Come on, get down. Come on down. You got Run like Scott. Kenya Woods, right here, man. Thank you. I'm Kenya Woods. I am the uh, family and youth pastor for Garfield Memorial. Um, thank you so much for welcoming me. Um, the first thing I want to say is that I know what you're thinking. You're wondering what happened to my arm. Uh, I was having so much fun in kid space <laughs> that I hurt myself. No, that's not actually what happened. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what really happened. Um, I was minding my own business like I always do. Okay, <laughs> I was downtown on the motor scooter. You know the cute little motor scooters that you don't have to do this. You just, you know. Uh, and my daughter had crossed the street. I'm gonna hold this for a second. She crossed the street over there. She said, "Mommy, wave." Oh. Wait for the picture. So I took my left hand, which is the, le- the hand that breaks, and I waved. Then I saw the people in front of me, and I said, well, obviously, they're not moving out of my way, so I guess I'll just slow down. Um, but I did that with my acceleration. <laughs> so I slowed down, and I thought, oh, I'm speeding up. And then I panicked, and I squeezed, and boom, I went right into the ground with my shoulder uh, it was a mess yes I did, did it hurt yes it hurt it felt like I was giving childbirth out of my shoulder and having a baby collarbone that never happened so <laughs> and that's the truth that's what really happened um the moral of the story is never try to be cute on a scooter keep both hands on the scooter <laughs> seriously though I just want to thank you all for having me here and let you know I'm I, I'm in love with kids space I'm in love with kids space it is so much fun it really is um, Pastor Dave has, has has cultivated and set it up so that it's actually a place that kids 
have fun, but they learn about Christ. They learn, they learn about morale. They learn how to have good morals. They know how to make decisions. They know how to flip through the Bible and find the stories. They, we're teaching them that at Kids Space. We are. Um, you know, I, I grew up in a time where I had to wear an uncomfortable dress with a hat and some gloves in, in heat in the heat and go in a church that may or may not have been air conditioned um, have to sit there all the, for the whole two, three, 15 hour service and I dare not ask for anything to eat. I could barely use the bathroom. I had to show no emotion like all of that. I couldn't fall out. None of that happened. Okay. That's as a child. As a parent I've had to, and I said this in the other uh, the other service. I mean, you know, my, I love my husband. He's, this is not his specialty to help me get kids ready in the morning for church. It's just not his specialty. So I had to get them up and get them looking nice and get them to the to the church and you know s- slip them a cracker or some juice here. Hopefully somebody's not angry and saying why are you feeding the kids at the church? You know all of that. And so I ended up missing the service, not really getting the fullness of the service. And I would walk home, I'd be depleted, and I still have to cook Sunday dinner. So. Um, it, it, it was very nice and refreshing for me to come here and say, wow, kids are having fun. This is like Disney or Nickelodeon and they're learning stuff. <laughs> now I've only been here two months and I have watched even, even through all of the setbacks, I've watched the kids learn so much about Christ, have so much fun. They don't even know that they're having fun and learning, you know, um, is truly one of the most important ministries that Garfield Memorial has. Um, it is, it is, you know, and with, with that, as I'm pleading, um, I can't do it by myself. I'd, I'd like to be able to be superwoman and be able to do Well, actually, I wouldn't. I need the help. <laughs> so, you know, I would invite you to consider, if, if you're not bringing your kids to to this space to, to consider that. And also, I would love it if you all, if any of you all have gifts that you can come and help me out because I got one arm. I, I have, that's all I got. I got a couple of volunteers. I'd, I'd love to create an environment where it's stress-free and if you have like, maybe you can only come this time, this once a month or something like that, that's perfect. I'll take it. <laughs> so, um, I just wanted to thank you and um, thank you for welcoming me. Um, thank you for the meal ministry too. Shout out to them real quick because now I have—I didn't have to cook, but I do have a few pounds. I have to work that off. <laughs> and um, I just want to thank you guys for wel- welcoming he- me here. And I'm hoping that you will come and meet me afterwards. And if you're interested in in sharing your gifts and, and your love for the children and your support for them learning about Christ cuz they're getting it there they're not they're not getting it at school they're not they're getting it at kid space okay so if you could come and share those gifts that would be wonderful so i'll meet you all afterwards yeah yeah okay thank you again <laughs> all right we got a great team here, man, um, and it's fun. So this is such a crucial ministry. I hope just go talk to Kenya in the, up in the main lobby after service. Uh, believe me, you're not signing up for life. It might be like one Sunday a month if you can help us out. It's so important. We say in that side of the, of the building, 100 years from now, 
The only thing that's going to matter to a child is their relationship to God. So help us uh, firm that up. We're in our teaching series, continuing uh, our teaching series on where do you run to? We've been saying when you run out of words, when you run out of prayers, you run out of tears. Anybody been there? I have. Where do you run to? We've been encouraging you to run to the Psalms. Somebody said if you had your Bible physically and you dropped it on the floor and it fell open to dead center, you know where you'd be? In the Psalms. It's a songbook of Israel. It's a hymn book. It's poems. It's hymns. It's prayers. It's giving words to the things that we don't have words for. And so I already shared, each of our teaching pastors is sharing their run-to psalm. I shared two weeks ago what mine was, Psalm 46. That's where I run to when I run out of words. Pastor Steve shared last week, as a deer pants for water, so our souls pant for God. He shared his run-to psalm, 42. Pastor Scott and Pastor Terry will share theirs. So I'm up again. So I've already shared my run-to psalm. But this psalm, would, if all the psalms were on Spotify, this would be on my playlist. It's in my top psalms, but here's what I want to tell you. This isn't a psalm I run to. This is a psalm that runs after me. Let's let's look at it together, shall we? Psalm 139. Oh Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all. Somebody say all. That's not going to be great news sometimes. All my ways. Even before word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol in hell, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light around me become as night, even the darkness is not too dark for you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me when none of them even existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. I try to count them. They're more than the sand. I come to the end. I am still with you. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way within me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Psalm 139 is not a psalm I run to. Psalm 139 is a psalm that runs after me. 
Now, years and years ago, uh, the early church believed that David wrote all the Psalms. Uh, contemporary scholars have taught us that's not true. David didn't write all the Psalms. He wrote some of the Psalms where they were at least attributed to him. 73, in fact, are either written by David or attributed to by David. So about half. This Psalm 139 is the last set of what they call Davidic Psalms. This is a Psalm of David. And even mighty King David, even the one who's Israel's greatest, uh, you know, king. In fact, to this day, if you ever travel with Terry and I to Israel, the tomb of David is the most guarded place in all of Israel. But even this one had to run sometimes. Even this one had to learn about what he writes in this psalm is the inescapable reality of God. The inescapable reality of God. And David does it in four parts. So let me do Bible teaching with you for a little bit. I'm only going to talk about two of these points, so we won't be here all day. The Browns played yesterday, so we're going to be here all day. Um, no, I'm kidding, kidding. That's a bad joke. But verses 1 through 6 is the first part, and David talks about the inescapable knowledge of God. I'm going to talk about that in the second half of the message. In verses 7 through 12, he talks about the inescapable presence of God. I'm going to start with that one. But then the next seven verses, he talks about the inescapable power of God. In fact, he said, did you hear that? You made my frame. What does that mean? Anybody, if you're in a car accident and your frame of your car is broken, what happens? Total, total loss, right? And David's basically saying, you made me totally. You made everything that's about me, the world and all around me. You made the frame of the earth of the universe. There's a power of God, inescapable. And then finally, verses I left out that it almost seems like they they don't even belong in the psalm. I didn't include them, verses 19 through 22, because it's like David starts ranting about enemies and hatred and all this. And, And what that is, is the inescapable justice of God, that we do rant against violence and we do rant against injustice, okay? So that's the four parts, and that's summed up with that final prayer. But I want to talk about two, two of those today, the first two. The inescapable first presence of God. The inescapable presence of God. David says, if I, if I go to heaven, I go to church, I hang out with holy people, you're there, of course you're there. But I go to hell. <laughs> I go places I probably shouldn't be, and you're there too. So now I try to get out of Dodge and I get on an A train and fly to the uttermost parts of the sea. In, in that day and age, that was the end of the earth. And even there, Lord, you're there. This inescapable presence and reality of God. When I pastored in Illyria, it was my first church on the west side uh, of town. Uh, I used to go on a radio show in Lorraine once a week. I think it was 103.3. If you ever heard of Jay the Gospel Kid? Anybody hear him? It was his show, and he, he brought me in once a week to do this talk show. And I did what I called a hope line. Like, you could call in. I learned it from one of my mentors in Texas. And I just would say, hey, if you're out there and you want to talk to a pastor who's not going to judge you, but just meet you at the point of your need, uh, then call in. If you want to have a religious argument, you know, a, a debate is an exchange of ideas, an argument is an exchange of ignorance, I'm not interested. So I say, if you want to call in and kick my theological tires to, on the issues of the church, this ain't your show. But if, you're, if you want to talk to a pastor who's just going to love you and listen to you, and I, I'm your guy. And I, I went one day where I didn't, pastors can be so hypocritical. There's sometimes I'm up here preaching, I'm putting on a good face, that's my preacher face, and like, I don't want to be here. I, you, I won't tell you that. Uh, my wife will let me know. I don't want to get out of bed. You have to give me that. Um, 
and I went to a radio show one of those days. I just had a sour mood. I don't remember what it was about. I was mad, and I got to do the Hope Line. So I put on my voice, and uh, about the third call, this caller calls in. I forget the name, and, and really in a very aggressive voice says, I just want you to know I don't believe in God. And I said, that's okay. God believes in you. Now let's go to Carroll in North Ridgeville. I just hung up on him. <laughs> Not lying. I got a letter a couple weeks later at my office. I opened up and he said, "Um, I'm the guy you hung up on on your Hope Line, Reverend. He said, I want you to know, I I was so mad, I typed a letter to the producer of that radio show and I said, how can you have a guy who says he's a man of God that hangs up on people? He said, I never mailed it. Because those words you said to me, that's all right, God believes in you, haunted me. He was actually a professor at a college in the area. He said, I just kept hearing over and over when I'd sleep, when I'd get up, that's okay. God believes in you. That's okay. God believes in you. He said, I lost my mom recently, and uh, I went down in the basement, and I opened some of her boxes, and I found her Bible that she always carried with her. He said, I opened it up, and there were 10 or 11 notes in there of my mother praying for me. He said, so I started to read that Bible again. And I thought I'd just drop you a line to let you know that I'm making peace with the God who says, that's okay. I believe in you. I wrote him back a long letter, you know, preachers get along. He never responded. He didn't have to. Why? Because he found this inescapable presence of God. God is always with us. He is always, he's persistent. And you have to understand what we say about God. Do you know Genesis 1 and 2? That's God's resume. If God has a resume, it's two chapters in Genesis. Now, there are people called creationists who want to dig into Genesis and I got to know exactly how God was made and made the dinosaurs and when the earth started. And that's a bunk. Genesis 1 2 is not for us to figure out things that we don't know. Genesis 1 and 2 is not telling us how God created, it's telling us why God created. And it's telling us who is this God that created? So is God all present? The old church used to say omnipresent. Is God everywhere? Is God bigger than the world? Is the God the God of the Eastern religions, Islam, Buddhism, where God is out there somewhere over the world? He wouldn't get involved in the world because the world is too fallen, it's too sinful. So he speaks through prophets, you know, because God's too holy to come into this matter. Is it's our God, the holy, omnipotent, transcendent God? Yes, read Genesis 1. God speaks into creation. In fact, it says in Isaiah 66, it, God says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. I am the almighty. I'm the one behind the many. I am the source of all being. I, that's why when Moses said, what's your name? He said, I am. You're what? Whichever you need me to be, whenever you need me to be it. I'm a blank check. You fill it in. That's the God we serve. But Genesis 2 says, This holy, almighty, transcendent author of all things reached into the dirt. Put his hands in the dirt to create us and and hang in there with us and walk with us in the garden even when we broke rank with him, right? Genesis 1 through 11, if you read it, is all these stories about our brokenness, God's greatness and our brokenness. That's why we say common brokenness here. And God, you know, we get so off rail that the flood has to come, but God still doesn't give up. He puts a family in an ark and, and you know, goes through that. And, and in Genesis 11, it shows our corporate sin. See, Adam and Eve shows our individual sin. 
But there, there's, there's individual sins and there's corporate sins. It's like things like racism. There's individual personal being a racist, but there's also what people tell us systemic, like corporate. We sin individually and we sin corporately. And the corporate sin in Genesis 11 was building a tower. Do you remember it? We'll build a tower to the heavens. We'll show God. They were going to storm heaven through our technology and our ingenuity. Watch what we can do, right? And you know what Genesis says? Something you miss it sometimes in Genesis 11.5. It said the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which humans were building. Now, I always wonder about that. Why did God have to come down? I mean, if Santa can see you when you're sleeping and knows when you're awake, like, doesn't God? No, because our God always comes down. He sits high, but he looks low. And he reaches into the brokenness of the world. And he's present all the time. And you know what that means? That he's a pursuer. God pursues us right? He pursues his people. And I'm going to tell you this, he won't give you up without a fight. That's what I've learned about God. I'm a product of Psalm 139 because of God that just wouldn't give me up. So you try to give up on him, learn on my dime, he will not give up on you. That's all right. God believes in you. And he pursues us to the point of what? The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we've seen his glory. He did what? He came down to be amongst us, to punch a hole in the universe, to do what? Jesus Christ said, God so loved the world that he sent Jesus to what? Come on, you guys, you gotta know that. God so loved the world, he sent Jesus to save the world. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Lord. I've been teaching these folks for 17 years. Um, God so loved the world, he sent Jesus to save. And that word in the Greek is the word sozo. You know what it literally means? To pull somebody back who's falling off a cliff. God comes to search and rescue us. In fact, that's why the psalm starts with the first verse. What does it say? Oh Lord, you have searched me. It doesn't say you've made me. It said you've, you've searched me. You've searched for me. And why, why does God have to search for us? Because we run and hide. That's what the story is. We run and hide. Adam and Eve, right? Broke rank and file with God. One tree, one fruit. Don't do that. Do it. And then God came down and walked in the garden. You know the story. And called out. Called out, where are you? And what did Adam say? I knew I was naked. So I was afraid and I hid. See, we run and hide, and we cover up. I'm going to talk about that at the next point. But God pursues us, and God will not give us up without a fight. And let me tell you something. God doesn't fight fair. I grew up in Youngstown, Ohio. That was back in the day. We got in a lot of fisticuffs. We got in a lot of fights. But there were rules of engagement. Like you didn't stomp anybody when they were ground. You didn't kick. You didn't use your feet. Usually, you know, we'd beat each other up, and then we'd go play basketball. Today, you can't do that because you'll get shot. I told my kids that. There was a day when everybody wasn't packing weapons. But we did. We used to fight and do this. But there were rules, right? God doesn't have any rules. He doesn't he does fight fair. I'm going to tell you this. That's why Jeremiah, if you read it, he was so mad at God, he wanted to give up the, the ghost. And he said, God, you've become a dread warrior to me. What's he saying? You're a big bully. I don't want to preach anymore, but yet there's this fire. Shut up in my bones. I can't contain it. 
See, I learned this on my own job. You remember Job when he was going through all hell and Job's wife said to him, curse God and die? I did that twice in my life. And he, and he didn't, let, he didn't, he didn't bar, agree. He doesn't fight fair. And finally, when I gave it up and I realized I was called to minister, I was called to preach, my wife and I and Tiana was eight and Perry was on the way, left you know, the corporate arena, went off to seminary. Perry was born when I was in seminary. And it, he, that next year, I was so doggone broke. I mean, do you ever have those times we had it? We needed to get diapers. We needed to get formula. We were just broke. We were down looking for coins in the car under the seat cushions. You ever done that? I went down there and bought coins. I took all these coins to get some diapers for my kid, and I was so ashamed of myself. I said, this is what a man does. This is not what you do to your family, Chip. God. I said, I'm done. I am done. I'm going to go home tonight after I put Tiana to bed and Perry to bed, and I'm going to work my resume up. I know some companies that will hire me back. I'm not doing this thing. I was, I was just done. And I always read uh, stories to Tiana at bedtime, always. It was one of our habits. And I used to read her The Brothers Grimm. Like, like, she loves horror movies to this day. I think I did it. Like, I should have read Hans Christian Andersen. But, uh, but I remember I was reading her a bedtime story, and uh, that day, I'm going to go to the computer, right, do my resume. I read her the story. We said our little prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. You know, I kissed her on the head. It's a night, baby. I go to walk the room, and she says, Daddy? Yeah, baby. God wants you to know that he's really, really proud of you. And I'm proud of you too, Daddy. I love you. Good night. I walked out of that room. I went in the bathroom. And I began to cry so heavy. And then the second thing I did, I just cussed God out. I did. I'm not, I'm not too proud to tell you. And I said to him, have you no shame? You're going to use my kids? You're going you're gonna to speak to me? I mean, you spoke to Balaam through a donkey. You're going to speak to me through my daughter? But I got the message. And I hung in there. Your arms are too short to box with God. He has way more ways to reach you than Satan has to deceive you. He will do end the rounds. He will break the rules. He will rig the game. It's a fixed fight. And there's nothing, here's the thing, there's nothing, there's nothing you've done that can, that can take you away from the presence of God. There's nothing that you could do in the future. God is a relentless pursuer of his people. He, he pursues us. So when the band's up here and they're singing Corey Asbury's Reckless Love, and you know, they get to that little bridge, there's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. And I'm over here on the floor, on my knees, carrying on. Don't call the paramedics, don't call the prayer team. I'm just remembering this God that would pursue me. To the, to the ends of the earth, as David said. Okay, that's point one. Here's point two. You know me, God. You know everything about me, God. You know words that I want to say that I don't say. You see everything about me. That's the inescapable knowledge of God. See, God is all-knowing. All-knowing. All Knows everything about me. David said, you all, before I even existed, you knew the order of my life. And, and, you know, that, that seems real nice. But did you hear what David said? He said, wait a minute, this is too wonderful. He's being sarcastic. He doesn't say this is wonderful. 
this is too wonderful. He said, I can't bear it. I can't comprehend it. See, I grew up, when, when I would hear 1 Samuel 16, God does not look on the outward frame. God looks upon your heart. And I used to think, I used to say, that's, that's so comforting. God knows my heart. God knows my heart. God knows my heart. And then one day I said, God knows my heart? <laughs> wow. That scared the devil out of me. You mean he knows all the things I fantasize about? He knows all the things I want to say, but I'm a pastor and I can't say it, at least to y'all. <laughs> like he knows all, my, all, my, all, my, all the things I'm capable of, the darkness that's in, he knows all that. And what does David do? He says, I wish darkness would cover me. But you see through that too. But see, that's what we do, friends. Listen, I, I remember, you know, we had mask mandates and everything, and I'm all for doing whatever it takes to be safe and all this. But I remember somebody came to me, and it was a member of our church, but they knew I was a pastor, and they said, oh, you know, I just think this is ridiculous. We have to wear masks to church. I said, you've been doing that your whole life. And so have I. And so have I. Right? Be- that's why God has to pursue us because we run and hide and we cover up. Adam and Eve, our spiritual parents, put on fig leaves because there were some things they didn't want God to see. And if you're honest, there's some things you're not real proud of and God sees it. He sees you down deep. He does a spiritual MRI of you, head to toe and of me. But here's what David found out. Even though that knowledge is too wonderful, right? Um, and it makes us want to flee. That's why he ran from God. And, and you say, well, I never fleed God. Come on. You, we, may, we may stay in church. You heard Kenny's testimony. We may go through the motions sometimes, but we're, we're really on a, on a run to get away from this God. I think John Paul Sartre was a great uh, a French thinker. He was not a believer. And he once said, if I want to be a free human subject, this God cannot exist. I must have absolute control over what others see about me, or I am not free. And you know that's true, right? Like, we don't want folk to know our business, right? Because somebody knows all your business, what happened? They have power over you. They could use it to hurt you, right? Could use it against you. But David found out, that's why he wanted to flee, and so do we, and he covered up, and so do we. But this pursuing, seeking, searching God who knows us down deep, loves us to the skies. And David found that out. He's like, wow. And the whole tone of the psalm changes because he discovered not only does God have an inescapable presence, not only does he have an inescapable knowledge, but he discovered an inescapable love. And our tech team's going to discover that too. Um, <laughs> but he, he discovered an inescapable love. And I want to put that next verse up if you guys are with me. David says this, and this is where it changed. He said, how weighty, that word literally, some translations say how precious. How weighty, how precious to me are your, your thoughts, oh God. See, David's been saying his thoughts to God, and all of a sudden he's thinking about God's thoughts toward him. It changes. How weighty to me. Weight back then was value, right? It, value was, we're all trying to lose weight. I continue to fight that, all that. But back then, you know, a sapphire, a diamond, an oxen, the, the more heavy they were, the more weighty they were. He said, I'm discovering something precious. Precious are your thoughts, O oh God. How vast is the sum of them? I try to count them. They're more than the sand. I come to the end, and I'm still with you. See, he, he discovers an inescapable love. 
in the midst of that. And now, now David said, okay, this God who knows everything, this God who is always there, this God who can do everything, what if that God is for me, not against me? Then I'm safe, right? I'm safe. That, that, that's what Paul discovered. Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was the most self-righteous, religious person you'd ever meet. The kind of people you just don't ever want to be around because they're so daggone mean. Paul was that guy and, and used the Bible as a weapon, right, to condemn you and judge you. That was Paul. But all of a sudden, Paul found out that he didn't have to fight so hard to get to God because God and Jesus Christ had already come to him. And what did he write? If God is for us. Who can be against us? That's what David discovered. He said, when I think about this God that's for me, right? I think about, you know, that even, I love this verse. Even if I go to the ends of the earth, even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. What's this issue about the right hand of God? The right hand of God was the power of God. That's why in, if you read through the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, you know, Jesus is the top of the mountain. The Old Testament talked about him coming. The New Testament looked back at his coming. And everything was pointing to that. And, and so in Exodus, when the slaves were brought out of Egypt, what did they say? They said, your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. Isaiah says, God speaks to Isaiah, my hand laid the foundation of the earth and my right hand spread out the heavens that your beloved ones, this is a psalm, may be delivered, God, give salvation, what? By your right hand and answer us. And he did. And Jesus Christ, who sitteth where? At the right hand of the Father. See, when the king sat on the throne in those day and age, anybody saw Game of Thrones? Oh my gosh, what is wrong with you people? You don't know John 3.16 and you didn't watch Game of Thrones? I'm done. I'm done. Give my resume. We got to go. You remember the hand? Everybody was the hand in the king of Game of Thrones, right? Because the king is on the throne, but the hand is what exercises the power of the throne. The, the, the hand speaks for the throne. And Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of God. And he speaks. He says, the Bible says, the whole creation stays together by a word of his power. And he is the hand of God reached into the dirt again, reached into the world, knew everything about you, knows everything about me, and went to the cross anyways. He knew Judas would betray him. He knew Peter would deny him. He knew just like us, we would all run and hide. And he went anyways. Because greater love has none than this. The Father's only Son. See, He knows you deep down, but He loves you to the skies. And so then Jesus shows up, and and He says, uh, but from now on the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, what happened? He sat down at the right hand of God. Keep going. Next one, thank you. Who is to condemn, Paul asks? Who's to condemn? Who gets to judge me? Christ Jesus is the one who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, right? And then lastly, he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of God's nature. So you've seen Jesus, you see it all. 
right? The fullness, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. I think we got one more. And so God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance and forgiveness of sins. See, David sensed it. But you and I see it. He sensed that at the end of that place, that right hand of God is going to hold me. But we have seen the right hand of God. David sensed it, we see it, and Jesus sealed it. That's the God. That's the God. That's the God who we serve. And every time I get off the rails, this relentless pursuing God says, there's no shadow I can't light up. There's no mountain I can't climb up. Coming after you. There's no wall I won't kick down. Lie I won't tear down. Coming after you. For greater is the one that is in you than the one that is in the world. The God who has begun a good work in you will perform it under the day of Jesus Christ. He is the right hand of God. And he won't let you go. And he doesn't fight fair. And he won't give you up without a fight. See, I used to, one thing that really used to bother me in ministry, you know, some people leave the church. That always hurts me. I take it too personal, you know, and, and that happens. People leave church. And, and you know what God will say to me? God, God will say Psalm 139. Okay, egotist, do you think that you're the last pastor they're ever going to have? <laughs> do you think that your church is the last one? You know, he's, he's a pursuing God. And I, and I, and I, I breathe better. I breathe better because I know there's nowhere we can go. The darkness is as light to you, David said. You know all my stuff, Lord. This is before Bathsheba Gate. And you love me anyways. You love me deep down. So let me end with this. I I, I made Pastor Scott so impressed this morning. I watched TikTok this week. Come on. You can do better than that. Come on. I did. I did. And I watched this video. 3.7 3.7 million people saw it last week. It was a mother in Santa Barbara, California, and uh, she had a three-year-old son. I don't know if you saw this. And in, her, in his bedroom, they put a smart speaker so it would play lullabies at night, and they had a motion-activated camera. Like, what, who are these people? Like, I had that walkie-talkie thing that was in the movie Signs. You remember? <laughs> like that we, you know, we hear something. Like that. Now, now they got motion activated cameras and s- smart speakers. How did my kids survive? <laughs> but this, her, her, her three-year-old woke up in the middle of the night and the camera caught it, the motion activated camera. And they found out that the three-year-old was doing what they do with their smart speakers. He called on Alexa. Alexa. He called Alexa. He woke up and he goes, Alexa. She says, what? <laughs> he said, I want my daddy. She goes, what? Watch it. You Google it. He said, I want my daddy. She said, daddy is now on your shopping list. Is there anything else I can do for you? He goes, um, no. He went back to sleep. That's great. It's the best 29 seconds I've ever thought. And I thought of Psalm 139. When I wake up confused and in the dark and uncertain and afraid, and I say, I want my daddy. I don't get Alexa. I get my heavenly daddy. And he says, I'm here. You know what? Go back to sleep. I hope that comforts you the way it comforts me. 
you can't get away from him. So quit trying. The old preachers used to say, he's so high, you can't get over. He's so low, you can't get under. He's so wide, you can't get around. And that's why Paul prayed for us, that you might know the height, the depth, the breadth, the width of the inescapable love of God. Amen? Amen. All right.